0: Hello and welcome to Can I Ask You a Personal Question with Will and Dan. I'm Luke, the producer. Thanks for downloading this week's episode. This week we turn the podcast on its head. Will and I speak to regular co-host Dan Hulley about his life, early career and founding his company Quantico, a startup looking to shake up the accounting sector. It's a fascinating chat and a really great episode to round off our first series. We're busy preparing season two of the podcast, but in the meantime, if you could leave a review or a rating wherever you get your podcasts, it'll really help us out for the future. Without further ado, here's this week's episode with Dan Hulley. Enjoy! Who, who, which role do you want to take, the Dan or Will? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll,
1: be, I'll be Will. Okay. So,
0: Will, who are we interviewing today?
1: Oh wait! No, we don't always do it that way around.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I we're
1: down a Will roll now. Yeah, um, maybe we should, um, we should explain. Uh, hello, listeners. Um, this is Will here. We are changing things up a bit this week. Uh, joining me in the hot seat in the cockpit is uh, Luke Garrett, who's our usually our producer. Um, Dan is unfortunately unavailable today to be doing the interviews and you might find out why later hi luke how are you doing today
0: hi well i'm good thank you how are you
1: yes i'm good thank you how are you
0: (laughs) fine uh i'm intrigued to take this position of power um usually as you say i'm behind the scenes i'm the one um working the levers and and turning the cogs um but now i've i've come into a kid of the group yeah whiz technical whiz i think i've seen you call me on on twitter um, yeah. Possibly. yeah that's
1: because I didn't know that um, what you did I didn't know that what you were doing uh, was the job title producer mm. and then you said it and it made a lot of sense now I know what a producer is I've never really known before.
0: So oh, Will who are we speaking boiler. to today?
1: Speaking to Dan Hulley the um, founder and chief executive of Quantico which is a finance orientated company uh, he did actually recently explain to me what it is um maybe we can we can um drag that out of the hill a bit more um but it's crucially it is not an accountancy firm
0: so i'm trying to sort of get my head around what we could ask him because uh my approach to interviews is probably very different to yours i prefer to know oh he's here oh no <laughs> <laughs> are
2: you ready for me to come in or am i too early shall i leave uh, uh
0: let's that's fine <laughs> so Let's establish these roles first of all, Uh, first question Dan, how does it feel to be labelled by Will as a Gamma Male?
2: As a Gamma Male? um, Not good, not good, I'm left feeling confused, deflated and well I've done interviews with Will before so I know how he operates he likes to throw people off their guard at the start of the interview so that he's ready for that right hand jab across the chin Mm -hmm and yeah. yeah i need to expect this i need to be on my guard but even so wow watching it happen to something someone else is one thing but actually experiencing it yourself is quite another
1: you have an entrepreneurial family your dad was an entrepreneur is that correct
2: yeah i don't think he'd ever use that term to describe himself but Why is that? um I don't know, to be honest, I've just never heard him say it. I'm not sure if it's a term that has perhaps become a bit more fashionable in the last generation. Um, What did you say it was? He always described himself as uh, self-employed or managing director of the business, I think. My dad started an Apple reseller business called Core Solutions. um, That's a, that's a good pun. (laughs) I don't know if I've been confronted him about that before. Uh, That was back around, I think it was around 1990, something around that time. Um, At that point in time, you know, computers were still on a big, growth trajectory with business. Um, and for Apple in particular, you know, today it's all direct to consumer. You can just go into your Apple store and pick something up back then. Their strategy was to go through resellers. So he used to get a significant discount and then he'd sell it on to those customers and there'd be maintenance contracts and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. And he was a big Apple fan. So we always had all the latest kit at home, which is really exciting. I remember seeing the new, like the new iMacs at home, like the green ones and the purple ones that was really fun. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool to be exposed to that from a young age. Definitely. But, um, you personally don't use an Apple now, do you? (laughs) No, that's correct. Um, I was having this debate with my co-founder the other day. (laughs) Well, I think he feels like he had a bit of a key moment from Apple because they stripped Ah, away that reseller discount without a huge amount of warning and they really alienated a lot of their resellers. But no, he still does use all Apple products.
0: Okay. So when it comes to um, that background...
2: Oh, sorry,
1: Luke, can I I cut (laughs) in here?
0: That is the the classic behaviour of an alpha. That's all I'll say. I was about to ask uh, a really measured question and you uh, you waited for me to start a question. And then uh, just... This is what I have to do with
2: every week, league. I was really interested in languages, so I applied to do languages at university. Uh, did ended up doing history and French at Durham, um, which is where I first met the uh, wonderful Will Turbol. I really wanted to use my languages in my career, and I'd always wanted to work in the civil service. That's what I was really excited about. Um, however after living in Paris for a year I kind of frittered away all of my cash as you might imagine it's a very expensive city and at the same time a lot of my friends were in their final year at that point so they were going on to do internships with like Goldman Sachs and Barclays and earning sums in excess of £1,000 which sounds like nothing now but at the time I was like holy shit £1,000 imagine how many one pound thirty pints I could buy with that.
1: So you did an internship with BWC you finished university and then you went to work for PwC and uh, you loved it
2: correct? (laughs) Well I think the internship at PwC was they it was a huge contrast coming from Air France where I'd been like the bottom of the pecking order treated like it's paid virtually nothing and living out of a hovel Um, in the Bonlieu to then going to PwC and they, you know, they give you like, um, they put you up in a hotel and give you a laptop and give you some free food. And I was like, oh my God, this is the life. I've been given a laptop and some free food. So they definitely wooed me at that point in time. But no, to be honest with you, um, I was quite excited going into the accounting profession because Um, you know, like I mentioned, I spoke to my dad about it, I spoke to my teachers about it, and it was clear that there's a certain amount of prestige attached to it. It seemed like it was a great option from where you could branch out into several different uh, career options later on in life. But one of the first things you do when you go into any career is you look at the people who are a few years ahead of you and as soon as I was looking at those experienced auditors I realized that they weren't really proud of what they were doing they weren't really enjoying that prestige at all in fact all they wanted to talk about was how quickly they could get out Um, and it was the same thing with doing the exams like I was really excited to have the chance to continue and do a professional qualification which I thought would really help me out in the future but everything about those exams really grated with me. Uh, we learned how to do T accounts, uh, which is like really old fashioned accounting on paper. We learned about books of prime entry, but things like software were never mentioned at all. And it was all just kind of crammed down your throat so that you could pass an exam and move on. So I was left really, really disillusioned with the profession, to be honest. Uh, it kind of sells itself on tradition and prestige, but our generation doesn't want tradition and prestige. They want variety. They want impact. And they want fulfillment. And I don't think accounting was a great choice in that respect at all. Just
1: taking a side step, So while you were at PwC, I, know, I remember you started a, uh, your first little venture called Blackfish. What's the story there? What happened?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it a little venture, but... Um... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was little. Um, so yeah, when I was at PwC, um, I went down to working four days a week. Um, I thought that the old fashioned way of, you know, doing five days, uh, wasn't really right for me. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing and I wanted to get a little bit more variety. Um, so I tried to, uh, create a business and one of the things that I'd found really frustrating at PwC was I was cycling around to a lot of clients around London, um, And I wanted to kind of arrive looking smart, but the only cycling bags I could find were these big kind of yellow waterproof panniers that were very effective if you were going touring in the Scottish Highlands, but you wouldn't be able to take it into a meeting. Uh, So I designed a briefcase uh, that was also a pannier bag um, so that it would kind of clip on your bike, you put your laptop in it or whatever, and then you could unclip it, put a cover over the attachments and it looked very smart in a meeting. Uh, So I got that designed and made in China. And I got a run of them produced and I sold them online. Um, but at the end of that, I kind of realized it's uh, e-commerce is a pretty hard game. And I wasn't confident enough to put in a really big order to make a go of it. And I thought that there might be other business opportunities that would be a better fit for me. Mm. Do, you
1: do you think that would be like one of your dream things, though? Because obviously you love, you, love, you love cycling. Would you like to do you know, that with that? obviously what you're doing now um, is probably a better and more despite what peter Hargreaves said more scalable potentially <laughs> uh, you, know, you can it's more more it's obviously makes more sense to the business but would would you have like would you, i mean would you love to just be like a cycling entrepreneur or something like that
2: i guess the cycling the cycling product was more in line with my hobbies and interests than what i'm doing now But I feel like if I'd brought one more cycling product to the market, it wouldn't have really made a difference in the world. It wouldn't have really changed anyone's lives. Whereas I feel like with Quantico, I know it sounds cheesy, but I feel like I've actually got an opportunity to make a difference in my own small way in people's careers and the outcomes for businesses. I know it's not solving world hunger or anything like that, but I genuinely believe we can, we can make a real difference.
0: take us up to the to the point where
2: you're launching Quantico and, and tell us a bit about where you got the idea from, I guess. I guess the idea really started germinating in my head. Um, probably in the first few years of PwC, I remember one time in particular really really stands out in my memory. I was at a house party in Clapham uh, really? with a lot of other, <laughs> you know, young graduates who were working in London. And somebody asked me what I did. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm an accountant at PwC. And I just saw her like eyes glaze over and she just thought, oh, this guy's gonna be really boring. I'm gonna go away and talk to someone else. And that was the moment for me that it clicked. And I thought, hang on a second. When did I become this uncool? Like I knew I was never cool, but when did, when did that happen? And at that point, I think I sort of had the germ of the idea that something really needed to change in this profession. And it had a lot of bright people in it and a lot of potential to really make a difference. Um, But that was being wasted by this emphasis on the old fashioned way of doing things and a fear of embracing change. Um, So that was probably the big moment for me. Um, But then also, you know, over time, so I made a beeline for the startup team within PwC. Um, they were, you know, so it's kind of surprising to say, but it's only in the last few years that cloud, um, software has really entered into accounting. Um, so the fact that you can do it in, you know, on, on a browser rather than on, on, on premise thing you install via a disc. So they were just kind of using that, uh, and it was just getting widespread adoption at the time I joined that team. And I thought, wow, finally we can use technology to actually revolutionize this boring sector and make a difference but I was really saddened to learn that underneath all of that jargon and the language of innovation, they were just doing the same things that they always had been doing. Um, I probably shouldn't go into loads of examples and kind of criticize people, but like one small example is Welcome. they're using <laughs> they're using a data <laughs> visual, I'm going to do it anyway, um, called Tableau. Um, And the great thing about this tool is you can log into it, you can view it online, it's interactive, it's taking all of your data from every different source in your business and it's pulling it into one place in real time, which is a really powerful thing. Um, And instead of using it that way, they were literally uploading all of the data manually at the end of each month, typing things in, creating a report, and then downloading that as a PDF, printing out that PDF and handing it over to businesses so they had had all of this great potential, all of these tools, but they were just like determined not to make the best use of it, um, and that's when I thought there's a huge gap here, and somebody needs to drag this profession into the 21st century. I set out myself and I had a lot of good contacts from my days working with entrepreneurs at PwC and also when I was trying to push the data business that they didn't want. Uh, So I went around and I found that I was actually very good at selling this product. I found that there's a huge unmet demand for actually very, very slick, very efficient uh, financial services for startups. Um, It's it's not being messed at all effectively so I was able to kind of bring in a lot of work and I was able to get to a good space with that but I remember um, when I was on holiday uh, last year I remember being on a beach in Thailand and my phone was just binging 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 and I was thinking hang on a second I'm working for myself but I've just got 20 jobs here because all of my 20 clients are messaging me around the clock And I managed to bring in a guy called Haroon, who's a real genius who helped me out at that point. But I thought, to really get this to grow, I need some skills that I don't have. Um, And that's when I met Jeevan. And um, yeah, she's phenomenally intelligent and phenomenally talented, but crucially, she's really good at all the things I'm not good at. So we make a great team between the two of us. So It's a weird sector. As I've touched on before, it is very much focused on outdated ways of doing things. So the training pathways that people do traditionally in these big uh, accounting practices are not a very good preparation for actually working in a business. Uh, like when I first started in my first startup, I realized right at the start that although I'd done really well in PwC and I'd climbed the ranks at a phenomenal pace, Uh, though I do say so myself, I actually had, I almost had to start again from scratch when I was actually working in a business. I'd never worked on an accounting system before. I'd never like worked with a head of marketing or a head of engineering, I had no idea what they did. So the training pathway left me completely unprepared to actually work in a business. And the other weird thing about accounting is, you know, people traditionally, they uh, aspire to be, uh, what's called a chief financial officer, CFO, which is at the top of the profession. And that is a role which is someone who focuses on the strategic angle, like interpreting numbers, uh, helping to guide a business in a certain direction. But what I discovered time and time again with startups is actually they were pretty good on the strategic stuff. The founders often didn't necessarily want to outsource the strategy. That was what they thought they had to do. They had these kind of operational problems. They wanted to know how to get the data from one place into another. They wanted to know how to Automate their processes so that they could grow very very rapidly and because everyone had been kind of pushing themselves up this strategic pathway nobody was focusing on just getting incredibly good at building the systems um, being able to build processes that help businesses grow fast so we found that that was a huge huge gap for us to jump into. It's what we call finance operations or FinOps Um, and at the moment we're launching, we developed our own kind of training academy to take the people from the big four and to train them on those skills as quickly as we possibly could. Um, We developed that internally, we're now just about to make it available externally as well and I'm really excited because I think that although that FinOps isn't a word that a lot of people have heard of today, I, uh, I genuinely believe within five years time, if you search that term in a, a job search board, you'll get dozens and dozens of uh, positions filled because it really is uh, a requirement that people have. They just don't know what the word is for it yet. Dan, can I ask um, if
1: you were at a party now? Um, and you were to meet that um, the the, the lady you were speaking to in Clapham Mm. and um, do you think that um, do you think that what you do now is more appealing to um, to to people like that and to to people in general and if so why
2: and if not why Well, look, well, first of all, I'd have to, you know, I'm not going to parties and looking to pick up girls anymore. That <laughs> period of my life has passed on. So I'd have to let her know that I'm very happily Get in a long-term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I I, I don't think we've, we've finished our mission yet. I think... That's, that's very much what we're driving to do. We're making accounting a force for modernization, a force for change. Oh, I see, I see. And we are looking to cure that image problem that it has. You're right. Accountants, because they've become fixated on the past, they're seen as the people who say no. They're seen as the people who care about the past and not the future. And it is that image problem that we're looking to solve. So if I was to go to say to her, I'm an accountant or I'm a FinOps specialist, um, she wouldn't know what that word meant today. But if she did within a few weeks and she said, that's really cool. That would be when I know that we're really making good progress on our mission.
0: What's wrong with with doing that thing? Why why was what was it about about you that you thought this isn't going to be I'm always going to want to do something new or yeah. something
2: different. I know exactly what you mean, Luke. There there is a bit of a trap there. First of all, ours is a profession where you have to spend three years getting a qualification. And at the end of those three years, the last thing you want to do is say that was a waste of time. I want to try something else. And then like you say, you get more money each year, you get more skills, but you're also tied in with more money. And they're always going, if you just stay here for one more year, you can get this promotion and then this promotion, and then you've got a mortgage and then you've got three kids and then, Oh, you might be able to. Yeah. So I know, I know exactly what you mean. And it does catch a lot of people in that trap, but It comes back to what I was saying before, what I'm looking for from my life isn't um, a paycheck every month. I mean, obviously, we've got a certain amount of certain amount that we need just to live on. Um, But if you're working in that job, you're well past that stage. What I'm looking for is variety, impact and fulfillment. And I didn't think that I could get those things in that career. I actually spent most of my time, most of my creative energy at PwC was spent working out which assignments were the easiest and how I could get onto those assignments. Um, I spent five weeks in a, a kind of a country manor in Kent one January to avoid all of the busy season audits, which is traditionally the time when you work hardest in accounting. And you I just, no, there was a, it was in a away job where we had to work for a client there, but there was about, um, you know, a couple of hours of work to do, each day and i i was so bored but i'd really wrangled hard to get onto that job because i didn't want to work past five o'clock or whatever and mm. i just looked at myself in the mirror and i thought is this really one I, I actually got quite good at doing that but is that really what i wanted to spend my time doing Whereas now I wake up each morning and I'm genuinely excited and I genuinely believe what I'm doing. And I feel that I'm stretched outside of my comfort zone every single day.
0: So my question, uh, my, my serious question, Dan, Hulley, can I ask you a personal question? It's yes. going well right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, you're in a position, especially, you know, I don't want to talk too much about coronavirus because it dates it. Um, so I'll probably edit this about, but <laughs> the, the, when it comes to, these business ventures there's often a lot of like late night stress and late night worry was there a moment can you identify a moment or, a, or an anecdote or a time when you you were really worried or you were really struggled? what was the what was the biggest challenge in this
2: yes there are there are certainly times when it feels like that in my experience it's not so much that there are times when you feel on top of the world and then other times uh, months later when it's really really tough I feel those things I go from that high to that low every 30 minutes um is you have to put your emotions on the line and one minute you're making a job offer to a candidate who you think is really talented and going to transform your business and then another minute um something minor goes wrong and you think oh my god what am i doing is this all going to fall down around my ears do i even have a clue i'm well outside of my depth and then the next minute it goes right again you think oh my god this is amazing um so yeah that is I know it's a cliche, but that is my daily existence and that's why it's so tiring. Um, if you're looking for a specific story, yeah, the the recent recession that we've been through has been particularly challenging. On the way into that, we'd already made three job offers that have been accepted to candidates coming to join us from the big four accounting practices and unfortunately, one of the many things that has difficult with this sector is most people are tied to three month notice periods. So they weren't able to go back to those jobs. um, because all of the, all of the firms in that sector have been trying to cut their costs. And I felt really, really nervous about whether they'd come to join us and we just wouldn't be able to support them. Um, it's a really tough thing to kind of, you know, these, these guys who've come from university and they've spent three years in a really big prestigious organization. It's actually, Feels like quite a risky choice for them to come and work in a startup like ours, and I really had to reassure them and say, you know, it's it's not a risky thing at all. It's a safe thing. We're going to go on. We're going to change the world together. To then have to phone them up and say, I just want to be transparent. I want to be honest with you. I'm actually really nervous about you joining us at the moment because we're in the midst of the deepest recession since records began, and all of our clients are holding off on making decisions, and some of them unfortunately aren't trading anymore as a result. So that was one of the one of the most stressful uh, experiences recently but it's only one of um, a number of stories unfortunately
1: dan Hulley, do you prefer boris johnson or donald trump
2: uh if i had to choose boris johnson but uh i don't think either would be getting my vote. coffee or tea coffee uh how much coffee do you drink <laughs> Just reading off the script. Uh, I have probably a couple of uh, flat whites a day, so I guess they're each a double espresso. So, I guess four shots of espresso. That's quite a lot. Yeah, That's what I you... say every week. <laughs> do you need a lot of sleep? Do you have
1: eight hours or four hours? Yeah, you, you do need a fair amount of sleep, don't you? Bira one? An eight-hour man. Yeah, at least. Okay, That's at least. Okay. Throat. Favorite film?
2: Oof. Um, I should really be better prepared for this, shouldn't I? I should yes. have seen this coming. That's why it's yes. a quick fire round. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have a favourite film ready to go off the bat. I recently uh watched the new Steve Jobs film with uh Michael Bassbender the other week and I did I thought that was, was that pretty after good. Spencer Matthews mentioned it. It was before that actually, um, mm-hmm. which contributed to me having a very positive impression of him.
1: Do you say Scone or Scone?
2: Uh Scone, I think. Okay. Favourite book? Uh gosh. Um at the moment I'm reading Alistair Campbell's Diaries of the Blair Years. Um, Mm. I wouldn't say it's my favourite book of all time, but it's really interesting. Cowboys or aliens? Uh, Aliens, definitely. Do you believe in aliens? Um, I don't have enough information to make a categorical judgment one way or another.
0: Mm. Favourite music? diplomatic answer.
2: Thank you. Uh, Favourite music? Favourite music. Uh, I'm really into, like, dance... Dance music. Dance music, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, Will, can you just... Oh... (laughs) <laughs> Can you just say favourite music again so we have it clean?
2: Uh, sorry, favourite music? Uh, I really enjoy <laughs> uh, dance music. Favourite track? Um, recently I've been enjoying uh, the Dutch DJ Armin van Buren. Do you have a hero? Um, well, apart from you guys... Um, Great. First gosh. <laughs> really look up to what you do. I guess uh, I don't have any one single one. Uh, I guess people who who I admire, um, I guess my parents, uh, you've got to get that on the record, my team, they're all absolute legends. Um, I guess certain elements of a lot of like popular uh, entrepreneurs I really admire. Actually, Alistair Campbell, uh, reading his book, I think he's, politics aside, someone who is very capable and confident he's, um, in a great job. Yeah, I, I
1: think he's very charismatic, isn't
2: he? Mm. Um, David Brailsford is a public figure who really admire what he's been able to achieve on like the British Cycling Front and he seems like a, a bit of a management guru. Um, Steve Jobs, I guess, to a certain extent, I really love his approach. Got some of, bad news about him actually. If yeah. you had to
1: be an animal in London Zoo, which animal would <laughs>
2: you be? Uh, whew, I really like uh, otters. I think they sure. I really like their approach to life. Very playful, sure. but also very adept swimmers. Okay. And if you that. had if you had
1: to take one home, an animal from London Zoo, which one would you take home? <laughs> um, I would
2: take home a domestic dog.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you because you don't like, you don't break the laws, you don't steal animals from zoos. You just take animals that you can take. So we'll just bring to a close um, series one of Can I ask you a personal question? Um, yep. We'll see what form series two takes. Um, yep. Who's been your favourite interviewee? Ooh.
2: Apart from yourself. Uh, <laughs> Let me see, gosh, there have been some really, really good ones. Um, I really enjoyed hearing from Simon Woodruff. I thought I hadn't really heard of him at all before, but I thought he was really inspirational. I really liked how he just had such a clear vision of what he wanted to achieve. Um, And just like was really obsessive in making it perfect and making an experience rather than just a business. Um, That's always something that excites me. I don't like to think of business as just money in and money out. I like to think about as creating something, creating an experience or a group of people or a mission. Um, And on that front as well, I really enjoyed uh, the episode with Spencer Matthews. Um, At the start, I have to admit, I was a little bit cynical. I thought this is a TV star who's out to promote something, but from talking to him, I really got the sense that he's really passionate about what he does, and a lot of what he was saying resonated with me as well.
1: Nice. I was going to ask you who your least favorite guest was, um, so I thought that would be a particularly awkward question, but then I I think I've decided better of it. um, Yeah,
2: because it would have negative ramifications on both of us. The thing is, is you've you've sort of said that, so you've both had your cake and eaten it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I know who your least favourite interviewee was. Um, Go on. No, no, no. I'll tell you later, off the record.
2: Okay. Uh, Wait, are we we on the record now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you going to ask the last question uh, that you always ask, Will? What's that? Will or Dan?
1: Oh, um, I've oh, only actually did it- asked that once. Um, but yes, good question. Uh, <laughs> I thought
0: you'd ask it every time!
1: No, it, I did it the first time with Peter Hargreaves, and uh, it just was... Well, I just found it too awkward. Like, I, I, I always end every interview with an awkward question, but that one, I just... He just really... He was just like, what, you two lads? I don't care about either of you.
2: Yeah, at least Dan's <laughs> kept his bloody mouth shut.
1: <laughs> Which was such a neg, and it wasn't even tricky. Asked loads of questions. Um, not enough for but, his uh, taste. Uh, Will or Dan? Um,
2: I'd go with you, Will. And I'd go with Luke.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh wait, was I, that
2: was that an option? And I'd no, go with Dan. Is this uh... a?
0: <laughs> it is now. <laughs>